Thank you for listening to this recording from Chestnut Hill Baptist Church. Today, Pastor David Seip preaches a message from Isaiah 29 titled, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We hope you find this message valuable and enriching. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 29, 1 through 4. This is the word of God to us this morning. Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. Add year to year and let your cycle of festivals go on. Yet I will besiege Ariel. She will mourn and lament. She will be to me like an altar hearth. I will encamp against you all around. I will encircle you with towers and set up my siege works against you. Brought low, you will speak from the ground. Your speech will mumble out of the dust. Your voice will come ghost-like from the earth. Out of the dust, your speech will whisper. May God illuminate our hearts with this truth from his word this morning. Thank you. Pretty harsh words that God has given us through Isaiah and these verses that we have read together this morning. That term, Ariel, we don't see it often in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's pretty much excluded right here to chapter 29 as Isaiah uses it. But the, the term Ariel in our text is a word used in this chapter to refer to Jerusalem. In verse 2, we read, Yet I will besiege Ariel. She will mourn and lament. She will be to me like an altar hearth. You see, that Hebrew word for altar hearth sounds similar in the Hebrew to that word Ariel. So the altar hearth refers to the top portion of the, the altar of burnt offerings, the incense from which was described in Scripture to rise up to the nostrils of God, a very pleasing aroma as it's referred to in Scripture. And the symbolism here, I think, is, is very clear. The aroma from Israel's burnt offerings were no longer pleasing to God. And by inference, the use of that term Ariel to refer to the city, God was no longer pleased with his city. And Isaiah, speaking for God, proclaimed to Israel that their city would be overthrown. But God did just that in the year 70 AD. It was the 8th century BC when Isaiah made this proclamation, though. And year after year, as our verse reminds us, the festivals continued until the Romans in 70 AD destroyed the temple, knocking the walls down into the dust, and the city burned. And as Isaiah spoke these words, the city was at the very summit of its prosperity. Let the years pass until the fullness of time. Let the sheep and the bulls be burned upon the altar year after year. But when the blast of the angel bringing retribution is heard, Jerusalem shall be brought low. And out of its destruction, let Ariel speak to the coming generations, yours and mine. The year 70 of the Christian era will be 
memorable until the end of time because it was then that Jerusalem was overthrown. And at the beginning of the year when the Romans laid siege to the city, its people were engaged in civil strife. They were no longer in unison as a people. John of Geshala with a garrison of 6,000 strong held the porticos of the outer court. That was his stronghold. Simon Bargoria, with 10,000 Jews and 5,000 Idumeans, was entrenched on the heights of Zion. And Elzar ben Simon, with an army of zealots, had stationed himself in the temple. And the arrows from the enemy camp came whizzing through the air and the the quivers into the cedar posts. The stones from their catapults fell at the feet of the the worshipers at the altar. And the space around the temple was in ruins. It was at that time that the prophet spoken in the, the chronicles of the historian Josephus went up and down crying a voice from the east, a voice from the west, a voice from the four winds of heaven against Jerusalem and her people who have sinned against God. What happened to a nation that turns its back on God? Further on in Isaiah 29, we read these words. The Lord says this, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay, Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the potter say to the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? When we read scripture, the proper way to read it is to first ask, who was the first reader? Who was that reader intended to be? Who was this passage intended for? And what were they to learn from it when they first read it? And we as the reader in this generation are then to apply to ourselves the the meaning God has ascribed to us for today. And we apply what we call hermeneutics, which is simply the art and science of biblical interpretation. And to properly do that, we apply biblical theology. We, We search for the context, which we may oftentimes find in our search way back in the beginning of Scripture as we're learning on Wednesday night in the Pentateuch. Now this past week, Michael Namath, whose name I didn't know until this past week, of the Religious Action Center of Reformed Judaism, he prayed a simple prayer to God, and this is what he said, May the ones who bless our ancestors... Bring healing on all in need. God, let your spirit rest upon these caregivers 
who serve as instruments of your hands, end of quote. He was referring to the dedication of a new Planned Parenthood Center in Washington, D.C. And there were 20 clergy present. I use that term clergy loosely, including Protestant clergy, among whom was a minister who told the Huffington Post reporter who was present on that day, who said this, many people do not understand that there are many kinds of Christians, end of quote. The president and CEO of the facility added these words. In almost every message to our staff, I talk about our doing sacred work. This confirms the sacredness of the work we do. Now I can tell patients that this is a blessed space. End of quote. These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. On April 14th, in 70 AD, the blast of the Roman trumpets was heard in the distance. Titus had come with his 10th legion and a great number of mercenaries. And they wound their way down the mountains and around the city and then began in earnest that famous siege which has few parallels in history. John, Simon, Eleazar, perceiving the need for joining forces at this juncture, made a furious attack on that 10th legion. And it was by the ford of the Kedron in the sight of Olivet, where Jesus, 40 years before, wept and cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and ye would not. In this battle, the Jewish forces were defeated and driven back with, with terrible loss, and those that fell in the hands of the Romans were treated with the utmost cruelty. And history records that the morning after the battle, 500 crosses were raised upon the mountains. And 500 Jewish captives were seen breathing in agony. And as the weary weeks passed on, two ghostly figures made their appearance. Famine and pestilence. Parents and children struggled for food. They, they crept down at night to gather decaying waste from the ravines of Hinnom. They fought for the reptiles that crawled out from beneath the walls. The soldiers gnawed their leather belts and their sandals. A mob broke into the sanctuary and stole the showbread and the, the sacred wine. And Mary, the daughter of Eleazar, killed her own baby for food. And then the pestilence. The dead lay unburied in the streets. And those stricken by plague crawled into the cemeteries to die. And on July 17th, the Roman army made a concerted assault on the city. 
The gates were forced and the garrison was driven back to the fortress of Antonia, which was built by Herod the Great. Orders were given that the temple structure should be spared, but it was too late. It was already destroyed. It was at this moment, according to a rabbinical tradition, that God, departing from his his sanctuary, turned back and kissed the pillars, moaning, alas, for my glory. And the angels in vain tried to console him. One after another, the great buildings fell into flame. All was over. It was recorded that thousands had perished in the siege. 97,000 were carried away into slavery. The treasures of that magnificent city were carried to distant lands. And on the Arch of Titus in Rome, which still stands today, reared in commemoration of this Roman victory, may still be seen this long procession of prisoners going into exile, chiseled into the walls of that ark. And here were the sick and the aged, the mothers with infants tugging at their skirts, wounded soldiers, priests, and rabbis with their faces fallen. And as we stand by this ancient ark, we can almost hear the words of Jeremiah as he wrung his hands and lamented. Oh, that my head were waters, he said, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And sadder still, the words of the master, as lifting up his eyes, he beheld the temple and he cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left desolate. So friends, the question for us is what does Jerusalem say from the dust to us today? Well, there are a few points that I'd like to bring out. And the first is this. Here in our our verses is a vindication of God's truth. A vindication of his truth. We often hear asked by unbelievers as well as uninformed believers, why is God portrayed as so angry if he's such a loving God? God always gave a warning before he acted. And he often was long-suffering before he did so. You see, all these calamities had been prophesied with the utmost specificity. Scripture tells us that a nation as swift as the eagle flies was to come from the north. The city was to be surrounded, torched. The trenches were dug. Sword and famine and pestilence were to be let loose their horrors. And the dead were to lie unburied in the streets. 
The city was to be overthrown, the, the temple itself destroyed. Not one stone should be left upon another, Scripture reminds us. Its altars were to be torn down. The bones of its prophets were to be scattered. Its inhabitants were to be led captive. Its ruins were to be sown with salt so that nothing would grow. All these prophecies were fulfilled in 70 AD. God's word, as we are reminded in scripture, is yea and amen. But secondly, <clears throat> secondly, there is a vindication of God's justice to us, a vindication of his justice. Scripture reminds us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, or might I also add, a nation, that shall he also weep. On the day when Pilate brought forth Jesus to the, the priests and to the people, saying, I find no fault in him at all. When he washed his hands in a, a token of his innocency, they all cried with one voice, His blood be on us and on our children. And look what ultimately happened. I might add this is a very similar story to the nation of Haiti. The leadership of Haiti formally in writing gave their nation over to Satan 200 years ago. The only nation in the world to ever do so. Look at the nation today. It continues to reap what it sows. Look at Israel. The Jews have been more widely scattered than any nation on earth. The diaspora or the dispersion is a kind of proverb actually being lived out. The wandering Jew could not find rest for the, the sole of his foot. The Jew is the universal exile. is to be found in every great metropolis in the world. And whatever the, wherever the Jew goes, they have been stigmatized as a race. The grandest nation in all of history as to, to wealth and to intellect and to genealogy reaches back to the infancy of time. Yet with every man's hand against it, the sins of the people have found them out. <clears throat> and in the fourth century, they were expelled from Europe with their ears cut off. In the 10th century, the caliphs caused them to be branded on the face and driven away to Arabian deserts. They've suffered countless and unspeakable persecutions and massacres. And at one time in the city of York, 1,500 Jews were shut up in the castle and they were refused release. Frantic with despair, they perished by a mutual execution. Husbands murdered their wives, mothers their children. And didn't their death cry seem to echo these words? His blood be on us and on our own children. But the worst calamity that has fallen upon Israel has been judicial blindness. 
Today, every civilized nation has accepted Jesus Christ to one degree or another. The Jew rejects him. Wasn't it written, the Lord shall smite thee with blindness and astonishment, and thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in darkness? I read, read of someone who once was greatly perplexed by a service which he attended in the, the great synagogue in Rotterdam. The place was thronged with worshipers and the, the lights were turned out except a candle here and there, just enough to make the darkness visible. The high priest chanted the, the service in a melancholy voice. And this witness said, I felt as if in a mummy crypt. What could it mean? All at once, the character of the service changed. He said, the lights in the, the great chandeliers were lit. And the worshippers' candles were also lit. And the priest had risen and was reciting in a glad voice. The men responding, Hosanna! Hosanna! After the service, he inquired about the meaning of this. And he was told that it was a service to commemorate the overthrow of Jerusalem and the captive of its people. The lighting of the candles meant that the Messiah was to come. And so I ask you, when will the darkness be taken from Israel's eyes? When shall they see that Christ? Thirdly, we note here also a vindication of divine mercy. A vindication of divine mercy. When Moses desired to see the divine glory, the answer was, I will make my goodness to pass before you. I will proclaim the name of Jehovah before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The subsequent history of Israel was a continual display of God's loving kindness. Now I want you to observe a few things. First, how faithfully he admonished them. How faithfully he admonished them. As it's written, he rose up early to warn them of the coming danger. He sent his prophets to cry, Why will ye stricken any more? Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will ye die? But observe this also. How wonderfully his providence has been round about that nation since the day of this calamity. It was God's purpose from the beginning that Israel should remain a peculiar people. And all the migrations that have gone out successfully from the older countries have mingled in their blood with other nations and so lost their identity. The Jews alone, wandering here and there for over 2,000 years, have preserved their distinctive character, their instincts, their habits of life. Their history is like the, the Gulf String that, moving from the southern Atlantic, courses northward until it empties into the Arctic seas, all with 
the way flowing between banks of cold water, yet keeping itself apart. And in the same way, God has kept the Jewish nation a distinct people through the centuries, loyal to its monolithic traditions, inadvertently preparing the way for the, the gospel by teaching the worship of one true God. There will come a day when their eyes are to behold the Messiah. Those who cried, crucify him, crucify him, shall yet greet him with public enthusiasm. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, nor thy land desolate, but thou shalt be called my delight, and thy land shall be called Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee. There are practical lessons for us here in this story. The first is this, God is true. God is true. If you seek me, I will be found of you. But if you forsake me, he says, I will cast you off. And in saying these things, the Lord is not making a mere play on words. He actually means it. And secondly, God is just. God is just. We are the children of peculiar privilege. And many of us learned the gospel long ago as a child. We learned it from the, the lips of the preacher. I was just sitting here a little while ago. I don't know why I never noticed it in the 20 plus years that I've been here. But there are grooves in this rug where I stand. And I thought, wow, I've made an impression in this carpet. I trust I've made an impression in some lives along the way as well. We've learned in its atmosphere through all the years. We've reached much and much shall be required of us. Scripture says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. And finally this, God is merciful. God is merciful. His hands are stretched out still. Out of the story of Israel comes that faraway voice of the master, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen doth gather her brood, and ye would not. And all along the story of Jewish history, the, the prophet seems to be saying, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and unto our God for he will abundantly pardon. And may God bless his own word to us this morning. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we've come before your throne and opened your word, and we pray by the mercies of your Holy Spirit that we in attendance as well as those who will hear my, my voice online or on CD will take heed to the warning that no man, no nation stands exempt from you. That no one who goes against your word or your will will ultimately be saved except by the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And so while we pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters, we pray also for this nation. We pray for the world that we, in our own influence, as you allow us, Lord, with our family, our friends, however else you might allow us to share our lives, that those around us would see the love and joy in our hearts given to us by your Son, Jesus Christ, renewed by faith and by your grace. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray this day that the lament of Israel would not be ours, that we would find joy and rejoicing in the truth of who you are and the certainty of your word and to trust in you and your mercies from this day forth. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For more information about Chestnut Hill Baptist Church or to subscribe to these audio messages via our podcast, visit our website at chestnuthillbaptist.org. You can also write to us at Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, 2 Bethlehem Pike, Philadelphia, PA, 19118.